I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by my Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Mike and Emmett from my Wall Street analyst team. Today, we're talking about the silver linings of Peloton's bloodbath earnings report. Our thoughts on Lemonade buying Metromile, and Emmett gives the first look treatment to Teladoc ahead of next week's Academy course kicking off. So guys, let's address the big elephant in the room right at the start. I don't think it's any coincidence that Rory happened to be on holidays again this week after Peloton stock crashed more than 40% last week after a disappointing earnings call. To go into it a bit, the earnings call was a bit of a bloodbath for a company with Peloton reporting a wider loss than expected. Revenue growth only coming in about 6% year on year and a full year outlook being pulled back. Mike, I'll come over to you first on this. Do you think Rory has just run for the hills and, and, <laughs> and avoided this podcast? Yeah, well, I think you missed the big opportunity there, James. Um, it's the elephant that isn't in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> that aside, Rory avoiding responsibility aside, let, let's talk about Peloton because we have talked about Peloton quite a lot and it's been one of the massive successes of, of the pandemic um, just to bring that up again. Surely this year or this quarter, at least, everyone was expecting a slowdown in growth for Peloton considering such a blockbuster year it had last year. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you framed the question this way because I'm planning on going off on a tangent, but it seems related now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, you said it there. Looking at Peloton, it kind of made me think of the wider trend we've seen this year on the pandemic stocks or the stay-at-home stocks that did so well last year. So I got a few examples. Peloton in 2020 was up 396%. It's down 66% year-to-date. Zoom was up 400% in 2020. It's down 30% year-to-date. Teladoc up 140% 2020 and down 32% year-to-date. And then Roku up 140% in 2020 and down 14% year-to-date. So, look, there's going to be more stocks that do well in 2020 that also do well in 2021, but they don't really fit my narrative, so I'm not including them here. (laughs) (laughs) But I think kind of we've seen there's a trend there. And I think the success we saw in 2020 and, like, not just 2020, but the meme stock craze and AMC and GameStop and, and even crypto as well. It kind of gave a lot of investors unrealistically high expectations for stock market returns. Yeah. Like there was a study that found US investors now expect annual long term returns of 17.5% from stocks. Wow. There's like <laughs> maybe five hedge funds in the world who might be able to deliver that long term. So yeah. I do think we have to chalk up some of Peloton's woes to like a wider trend and the sad fact that at a company can't grow fivefold every year. I think before the earnings report, it was down to about 40% year to date. So it wasn't too far away from where Zoom was and probably a fair enough pullback considering the 2020 it had. But we have to address the earnings report as well, which was, yeah. as you said, a bit of a bloodbath. I think that's an appropriate enough analogy. Um, so let's break down what happened. Uh, this is Q1 of 2022 now for Peloton. So that's kind of that's kind of important for guidance and stuff and thinking. But so revenue only grew 6% year over year, and it's down sequentially for the second quarter in a row. 
It also cut full year revenue guidance by a billion dollars at the low point, and it's forecasting EBITDA loss of 425 to 475 million for the year. Engagement for the platform is down, as you mentioned, and Rory pointed out this in the app as well. The costs have been skyrocketing, which would portray a company that wasn't really expecting this kind of dip. Operating expenses actually grew 140% year over year to 622 million. So all in all, not great. Um, <laughs> but it where's, actually, where's the silver lining here? <laughs> well, here we go. It isn't all doom and gloom. So you kind of notice a bit of a divergence between the hardware and software side of the business. So yeah. the software side actually did quite well. Connected fitness subscriptions grew 87% and it added 161,000 new subs in this quarter. Digital subscriptions, so these are not connected to hardware, have also seen an increase about 74% year over year. So it's not completely effed but <laughs> it's not great either you know well well let's talk about that so you mentioned the kind of the the digital side of of peloton i think that's something a lot of people forget obviously they sell very very expensive bikes and treadmills and, and rowing machines but the the thing that differentiates or did differentiate peloton in the start from other companies like that was its its digital offering and it's the kind of connected side of the business one of the company's key engagement metrics connected fitness workouts was down this quarter so it dropped from an average of 20.7 workouts per month last year to 16.6 workouts per month so to me is this a concerning thing to you mike that you know is engagement dropping our peloton's bikes eventually becoming what lots of uh, bears said which is really expensive clothes hangers yeah and i noticed a lot of them bears are back back riding on twitter <laughs> back after, at their caves after 18 months but uh that's actually responsible journalism for you there james you said 20.7 workouts i think the quarter before that was 26 so okay and even an even bigger drop uh if you wanted to be sensationist but i think one factor that went unnoticed last year because of lockdown and you know everything Peloton was going up and to the right. Um, this is a seasonal business, you know? Yeah. We talked about engagement and how its members are doing fewer workouts. Like, of course they are. It's the middle of summer. People are exercising outside. They're going for cycles and runs. They can go on holidays. They're playing team sports. Uh, they're going drinking out for restaurants. It's perfectly <laughs> logical. Sounds like a true Irishman. In- <laughs> 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 it's perfectly logical we would see a dip in engagement, you know? Yeah. 26 workouts a month on average is not going to be maintained year round, hmm. but its members on average are still working out more than every second day. There isn't a gym in the world whose average member is going every second day. So, yeah, I think the engagement is more for headlines than anything else. Okay, interesting. And then, you know, you mentioned there the seasonality of the business um, in terms of its engagement. It's also a hardware business. So surely there's seasonality in terms of this quarter is the quarter where we're going to have things like Black Friday. We're going to have things like the the Christmas and holiday period. And we're going to even kind of bleed into, you know, people in January, you know, saying this is the year I'm going to get fit. How how does that square with the fact that Peloton are pulling back their revenue expectations for this quarter? Yeah, well, I think... In the first line of the uh, shareholders letter, so they did like a little excuse bingo. Yeah. (laughs) um, Where they went for supply chain constraints, the reopening of the economy and tough comps all in one one line. Pretty much copy paste from every single company this quarter. (laughs) Basically, yeah. So I think I know what you're saying and and that's another thing. So maybe the engagement for um, so two quarters ago is their Q... Three, I think, yeah. would be the peak for engagement and probably Q4 
for Q2 for them for uh, in terms of revenue and, and especially hardware sales. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like isn't I think like every other hardware company right now, they're just preparing for the worst in terms of what is about to happen on the supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. So Peloton actually might have a valid valid excuse in terms of supply chain issues. So let's talk about the company more generally then. So, you know, Peloton is still a, a company in our shortlist. You know, Rory, I'm sure, is screaming back <laughs> down his headphones listening to this about how much, you know, we you know we are long-term investors. One bad quarter doesn't, you know, spell end for the business. Do we think that Peloton might actually be sitting at more of attractive valuation right now, considering the lofty heights it was at last year? Yeah, like... I don't think let's park valuation now and kind of dig into this quarter and like the real optimist around you there could kind of make could kind of make the argument that this isn't too bad you know yeah I, I think Peloton deserves a bit of leeway with regard to the fact it's kind of in this limbo between a hardware and a software company there'll be a day soon when subscription sales take over hardware sales the bikes and treadmills become a way of selling this high-margin software. We've seen this model work in loads of other industries. Like I think of Square or Roku, where yeah. the hardware is just a way of signing up a customer who then pays their monthly subscription. It's yeah. obviously a bit more difficult when the hardware part is an exercise bike for two grand and you're selling to customers rather than businesses, but it's definitely where the company sees itself going. And in terms of that and this earnings report, the software side of the business actually did very well. Yeah. And like, I think the line in the sand here was reducing the price of the standard exercise bike. I think they cut it to $1,500, uh, $1,495 or something. And they mentioned that they did this because they see more lifetime value in subscribers. And it, the, the main key to getting these subscribers is reducing those costs and making yeah. it more accessible. So I think, yeah, I think there's absolutely... No need to run for the hills just yet with Peloton. Okay, cool. And of course, I am just giving Rory an extra hard time. He did give his comments on Peloton in the My Wall Street app, and you can catch up with them now um, if you're interested in hearing his perspective on that. I'm sure he'll come back blazing now in next week's podcast. So I've, I've, I've really set myself up here. Uh, let's move on then. And anytime we talk about potential acquisitions here on Stock Club, they seem to end up failing almost straight away. So PayPal and Pinterest recently, DraftKings and Entain, we talk about the potential of these, and then the next week, pretty much they say it, the deal is off the table. Well, one acquisition that definitely seems set to go through for now anyways is Lemonade's purchase of Metromile. Lemonade is a fintech company that currently sells renters, homeowners and pet insurance primarily in the US through its AI powered app. Metromile on the other hand is a pay per mile auto insurer that's focused on offering cheaper premiums to motorists by tracking how much uh, mileage they, they cover in their cars. Emmett, interestingly both of these companies are actually part of your Horizon portfolio. Is this the first time one Horizon company has bought another? It is, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've pitched around, I suppose, 30-something stocks in the Horizon service, and I've bought around 24 of them, and definitely it's the first time one has bought the other. Yeah, and it, it's funny because they're two of the smaller companies in the portfolio too. Mm. So more broadly, look, I'm really interested here. What do you think of this deal? Both of these companies, you know, on the surface, seem fairly well aligned. There's the insurance angle there. Lemonade maybe a broader insurance scope. Metro a very specific one. But do you, do you think this is a good match? Do you think they, they fit in terms of what they're both trying to do more broadly? James, I have Encyclopedia Britannica open here. So I'm going to go back in time to get to the answer 
to the question you've just asked me. Just Here one second, our Mike, you were worried about going off on a tangent. <laughs> a I, was, I was celebrating it. Like, <laughs> I love now. tangents. This yeah, podcast man. is just one giant tangent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Emmett should, Emmett should preface every answer with, I really appreciate the question, James, but I'm going to answer a different one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, should, I really should have gone into politics. Look, the um, so what it says in Encyclopedia Britannica is this. The first American insurance company was organized by Benjamin Franklin in 1752 as the Philadelphia Contribution Ship. The, the first life insurance company in the America colonies was the Presbyterian Minister's Fund, organized in 1759. But you have to suspect, James, that the intellectually elite of ancient Greece and Turkey, while sitting in Ephesus, figured that it made you know sense to take a few drachmas off someone today in return for the outside chance of having to pay out in the future. It's, it's such a simple concept. But either yeah. way, let's just say that there is a dotted line from the Lemonade family tree all the way back to Benjamin Franklin and then all the way across the world to ancient Greece. So insurance is a really, really, really old business. And, and so we are now looking at one of the new disruptors to an industry, you could argue, that's as old as record keeping itself. Now, the stock market is a voting machine that appears to be faulty on any one day. And it's, it's an always slightly broken thermometer. <laughs> an example of the week, in my opinion, was Lemonade, who, as you said, you use AI bots on you know, their website and in-app to create what they describe as hassle-free insurance. Well, basically, again, as you said, Lemonade, you get homeowner, uh, renter, uh, pet insurance, and now car insurance in seconds. Your claims are paid more or less instantly, and you can cancel you know, in-app and there's a flat fee. They've really gone for utter innovation in an industry that is very old. And as you said, on Monday at market close, the company announced that Q3 revenue jumped over 100% year over year to 35.7 million. Customer count jumped 45% year on year to about 1.3, 1.4 million. And that they bought a cutting edge auto insurance business, Metro Mile, for like the price of a full Irish breakfast. And shares... <laughs> Shares fell. Where, where are you buying a- your full Irish breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, they're not 500 million, but anyway. But the shares fell from around 71 bucks to $61 a pop. And the shares are now down from a February high of $164, which in my mind is absolutely nuts. It's crazy. So let me just tell you a little bit about Metromile. It is a business based on the fact that about two thirds of motorists overpay for insurance. And therefore, by only paying for the miles you drive, you can save money. And and they do that by posting you out a dongle which you you know plug into the usb port on your car and you guessed it an app that's paired with it and you can suddenly prove to metro mile that you're driving less and you can even find your car if you've lost it so the point is metro mile is now going to power lemonade car the new product and for 500 million dollars lemonade has bought the following 100 million dollars of enforced premiums around $250 million in cash, which means they effectively only paid about $250 million, and 10 years of experience and expertise in pay-per-mile insurance, which comes with billions of road miles of data. Yeah, And to me, this is like strapping a rocket onto the side of a Tesla in ludicrous mode. And, and the voting machine that is the stock market 
said, no, don't like this. And that to me is why I think it's utterly nuts. Now, I, I do acknowledge there is, of course, a risk. And, and we all know that acquisition or growing through acquisition is notoriously gnarly. Actually, I've never, I've never used that word. I think it's <laughs> what I mean is that, you know, they fail way more often than they succeed. Acquisitions, you know, they, they are yeah. tough. And there's a shopping list of reasons why acquisitions fail that usually center around things like integration of products and people and the company culture and the customer getting confused with what, in fact, who owns what and who am I a customer of. So there's an awful lot of reasons why an acquisition will fail but if this works out i think that lemonade will be one of the great industry disruptors i mean it's still a toddler this is a brand new tiny baby of a company and we're looking at something that's out to change something that i've decided must have started in ephesus in turkey you know long before benjamin franklin came up with it so the deal is set to close uh, q2 2022 and at that point metro mile shareholders will receive uh, one share of lemonade for every 19 shares of metro mile i think was the deal okay now so so from your perspective, it seems like a great deal for Lemonade, great acquisition for them. Hopefully it works out. What about your perspective as a Metromile shareholder? We've had this in the past where like really exciting small companies like this have been bought out from underneath us. Are, are you disappointed as a, a Metromile shareholder about this news? I'm disappointed at when I bought Metromile. That's a fact. I mean, I pitched it and I bought it, you know, near enough to its all-time highs. I I don't have it open in front of me, but I think at an all-time high it was around 19 bucks and it's three bucks and change now. So that was that was a, mis- a bad timing, bad luck, but it is every bit as much a, the quality business today as it was when I bought. And I, I, I am disappointed at, at one level because I had conviction that Metromile would figure it and recover. I mean, they were fairly new to being a public company. Uh, they went to market, but, you know, through a SPAC, they were finding their feet. They had a really nice product that was licensed to operate. They have a really nice product that's licensed to operate in 49 of the 50 states. So the business was ready. Like the, the hardest work was done. And had that merger not happened, I believe Metromile would have recovered to the price that I paid back when and, and gone even further still because it's kind of a no-brainer. Like most of us, sorry, most of us here in Ireland don't drive a whole lot anymore. And I presume over in America during the pandemic, most people were the same. But, you know, there is something nice to to saving money or just paying for what you drive. It's, you know, uh, pay for what you eat. And I think that's a nice model. Uh, it was a unique model. But look, now it's gone into lemonade. And I do believe that... I do believe that Lemonade will be one of the great investments for the patient people of this generation. Okay, interesting. I seem to remember that when Metromile first went went public, Chamat Palapatia compared um, the compared Metromile to him to Warren Buffett's investment in Geico, however many years ago. Mike, do you think that's a fair assessment now looking back at it? Hundred percent. Everything <laughs> Shamat has said. Uh, equates him exactly to Warren Buffett. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just wanted to add that uh, there's an interesting aspect to this acquisition as well. So Emmett mentioned the 250, I think it's between 250 million and 300 million in cash that Metromile have as part of the deal. But it's actually an all stock deal. So it's 19 shares of Metromile to one share of Lemonade. So Lemonade is actually, through this acquisition, making a capital raise too. Okay. Yeah, um, so they're raising between 250 and 300 million in cash through this acquisition while also taking kind of a big risk out of 
just data accumulation phase of their uh, driving product as well. So it's a really interesting acquisition. I think Lemonade got a steal. And as a Metro Mile investor, I'm annoyed, but as a Lemonade investor, I'm kind of delighted too. So it's an interesting kind of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's it's, a, it's very bittersweet. And um, the big question is now, what are you planning on doing with your Metro Mile shares? Are you going to hold on or are you going to sell them before the, the deal goes through? James, that's really the preserve of Horizon and I'm going to keep that information for our members. I've already broadcast my intentions for my shares in Metromile and I also have some really exciting companies that I'll be adding to the service very shortly. Ever the salesman. What's that ABC? I'll always <laughs> be closing. <laughs> so before we move on from this story as well, I just we need to give a shout out to Horizon community member Josh Wall who actually managed to call Lemonade buying Metromile. I think it was like a day or two, Mike, before the deal was actually announced in the community. Yeah, I know. We're going to uh, we're going oh, to yeah. Cheltenham next year. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That was pretty. That was amazing. And also yeah. another one of our my Wall Street members, Ivan Perovic, I think he's in Croatia, said tweeted Chamat way back when saying, you know, do you like lemonade or what about lemonade? Rory tweeted this during the week or kind of retweeted it, and Chamat responded, "Per unit economics, Metro Mile is, in my opinion, the best of the bunch." So uh, one of our own members caught Chamat out. <laughs> I hope Jamat's not listening. So let's move on then. And last week I announced that the very first course on the My Wall Street Academy platform called the Fundamentals of Stock Picking was being launched. The first of these two weeks courses is kicking off next week, where Emmett will mentor you on the investing strategy that he's fine-tuned over the past few decades to show you how to follow the most crucial parts of his stock picking strategy. At the end of those two weeks as well, there'll also be an opportunity for you to use everything you've learned to submit a stock pitch to Emmett and get feedback on it. In anticipation of this, Emmett, you're going to take us through one of the key parts of this investing strategy here on the podcast today, how to take a first look at a company. So in the past few days, we polled our followers on Twitter to see which company they'd like you to give the first look treatment to. And it was a resounding result for Teladoc. So Emmett, let's pretend you've never heard of Teladoc before. This is a brand new company in your shortlist and let's dig into it to see how you take a quick five minute first glance at this company (laughs) we're doing what now okay well what i'd say is just about my wall street academy before i go there (laughs) me doing the tangent again but before i go there you know a couple of years ago my wall street uh, rolled out a very short and time limited product called in person where we got 20 or 30 people together into a room and it was the I suppose the earliest version of what my Wall Street Academy is today and really what was amazing about that when you get a bunch of people together with a shared interest and who want to learn about a specific subject is really the community that builds after that and to this day I have this WhatsApp group with the in-person attendees and and we are now constantly sharing stock ideas and I think that that's going to be you know bubble up out of my Wall Street Academy which is online for all the obvious reasons anyway so what what, what do we do i'm looking at teladoc right well yeah okay it's uh, so, it's so, a lot the, of- so the pitch is that teladoc is a company on your shortlist you know nothing mm-hmm. about it and we want to you're you're taking your first look which is part of the yeah. academy you're going to assess what teladoc is what they do and if it's worth investigating further yeah well uh, okay well, as a lot of our listeners know i apply an art and science approach to selecting and investing. And the left side of the human brain loves numbers and the right side loves blurred lines and qualitative considerations. And really what we're going to do at the moment is just stick with the left side of the brain, which we 
dive into in detail in the My Wall Street Academy. So as you said, we want the first thing you want to do when you hear of any business, and an awful lot of our listeners are very experienced investors, and this, we're going from rudimentary level, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners' eyes will roll backwards, but let me just take it from the absolute basics as if I was talking to a seven-year-old. So the first thing you want to do when you hear of a business is go to Yahoo Finance, go up to the very top in the search bar, and type the name of that business in to see if it is listed at all. Can you buy shares or is it a private company? And if it's a private company, Yahoo Finance will tell you. If it's a publicly listed company, you will click on its ticker and you're brought through to its dedicated page. And as I've said far too many times, Yahoo Finance is to stock research what Google is to uh, online search. And Yahoo Finance has been around forever and ever. It's been around since well before Google was invented. So the first thing we know is when we type in Teladoc into Yahoo Finance is that it is indeed a listed company with a ticker TDOC. And we see just underneath the ticker in Yahoo Finance that it's on the NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange. And the two biggest and arguably most powerful stock exchanges in the world are in New York City. They are, of course, New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. And, and that is really why uh, the island of Manhattan is the, 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 the center of the publicly listed company world. So we're, we know that Teladoc is now a public company. It's on the New York Stock Exchange. So if I scroll down on the Yahoo Finance page, the next thing I observe is its market cap. And the market cap, again, as a lot of our listeners will know, is if you take every issued share, every share that exists for this company, and multiply it by the share price, it gives you a number that is a very rough guide for what you'd have to spend to buy the entire company. Now, other dynamics come into play when you go to buy an entire company, but at the moment, at this very minute, on 11th of November, Teladoc is $22.9 billion in size. So if we want to buy the whole business, that's pretty much what we'd have to you know, write a check for. The reality is we'd have to write a check for more because not everyone would sell for that price. Um, And then the next thing that my eye goes to is the share price graph where you can select the range and it's the rear view mirror because all the share price graph tells you is what the world thought of it up until this moment in time. If you click on five years, a couple of pieces of information become available. The first is, has it been around on the public markets for five years or longer, which you can deduce immediately by looking. And then you see the shape of the, the graph. What has, how has the market priced this company? And you can also tell by looking at a share price graph, sharp points of growth and precipitous drops. And you can infer that there was news about the business at that time. But it gives you, I guess, a very quick oversight as to what has the world thought of this business to this point. And then finally, I guess for just a first look while we're on a podcast, if you click on the profile tab of Yahoo Finance, you can tell quickly where this business is located and what it does. And uh, so uh, Teladoc Health is on number two Manhattanville Road in New York in the United States, of course. And it gives a description of what the business does. And I think an awful lot of our listeners will know what Teladoc does. It's virtual healthcare services, uh, primarily business to business. So if you're sitting in a, a giant company and you need to see a GP or a consultant or specialist, you can do so. You can make an appointment online and you can speak to them. In fact, I used a Teladoc-like service just the other day and it's it's really so impressive. It takes the pain out of going to see a GP. So, so that's a very, very first look. And there, by no means does that make us 
as, as most of our listeners know, that does not make for uh, an analysis of the business. But very quickly, I can tell that this is a floated business on the New York Stock Exchange, valued at something like $23 billion, headquarters in New York, and it does telehealth. And honestly, in 30 seconds flat or less, you can you can get that first read off any business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, that's just the very, very first, I suppose, step, even half step maybe in, in the process you typically go through in finding stocks. Um, in the My Wall Street Academy course, The Fundamentals of Stock Picking, you'll go on then to show the 10-point checklist you go through covering everything from earnings per share and PE ratio on competitive advantage and company culture and how not only the things you look out for, but how you look out for them as well, as well as giving you students access to exclusive resources like the My Wall Street Investing Journal, the Academy Community, as you mentioned, and loads of other things. So as I mentioned, the first course of My Wall Street Academy is going live next Wednesday. Uh, listeners to the Stock Club can actually get an extra $50 off that first course in Academy if they use the coupon code STOCKCLUBPOD. So that's all one word, STOCKCLUBPOD, at the checkout page. But remember, attendance in each course is capped at just 50 people. So you'd want to be quick to get this deal. And you can find more info in the link in the notes for today's show. Thanks a million for that first look, Emmett. I'm sure you've never heard the company Teladoc before. <laughs> Um, so folks that's about it we're running out of time but before we end today's podcast I want to do the elevator pitch so we'll go with a classic one this time just the company you guys are interested in at the moment Mike I'll let you go first seeing as Emmett was talking so much yeah just wake up sorry Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so anyone uh, any of my Wall Street subscribers kind of seen me go down this rabbit hole recently of ad tech and trying to figure out who's going to capitalize from this iOS privacy update and IDFA. Or yeah. At least who's going to capitalize that isn't called Google or Apple. So the one company I'm looking at is called Magnite. It's the largest independent omni-channel sell-side advertising platform. <laughs> um, so to kind of dumb that down, it's to publishers what the trade desk is to advertisers, albeit okay. at a much smaller scale. So if you were the BBC, you would go and you had ad space to sell, you would go to Magnite and they would pair you up with an advertiser trying to buy that ad space. It's kind of established itself through some acquisitions as one of the preeminent names in the connected TV advertising landscape. And this is kind of looked at as a key growth driver for the wider programmatic industry. It's got some big publishers like Disney, Hulu, AMC and Warner Media as customers. And it's kind of banking on the future of streaming and that future being ad supported. So I think it could provide an interesting play on the ad sector. Yeah, definitely an interesting company. But the one problem I have with them is every time you mention them, I think you're talking about Maglite, the company that make those big heavy lights that security guards use. I just can't get that association <laughs> out of my head, which probably says a lot more about me than the, the stock itself. I'll add it to the list of cons. <laughs> yeah, that's the bare argument. Uh, Emmett, what about you? What company are you looking at or interested in at the minute? The stock I had a close look at the night before last is very niche uh, or niche, as you'd say in the US, and it's Clearfield, ticker CLFD. Um, and just to be clear, I think it's going to perform well. I actually think it could be a pretty nice investment at the moment, but I don't think I'm going to buy. So what they do is fiber to the home solutions, known as FTTH, fiber to the home, which is notoriously messy. I mean, we're all comfortable knowing our telecom providers can bring fiber to some junction box near enough to our house, but it's getting it right up inside our front door. So they get fiber broadband into your home and it is not glamorous it's not the glamorous end of broadband in its own right which isn't all that glamorous but it's absolutely critical and uh, the catalyst for uh, clearfield's growth is 5g 
believe it or not. And it's a small, it's a small business. It's only capitalized. Its market cap is only $870 million. It has 17% insider ownership of which a large portion belongs to co-founder CEO Sherry Baranek. Its return on equity is nearly 22%. It has $23 million in cash and a tiny little splash of debt, about $2 million in debt. And every quarter it's smashing. It's just smashing the, the consensus EPS. So I should point that, you know, analysts keep raising you know their their anticipated eps for the next earnings per share for next quarter but now the kind of consensus eps for q3 is considerably below what the actual eps was for q2 so i'm off the mind that this kind of boring sleepy middle american maker of routers and gooters kind of is going to do very well but is it going to be a 10 bagger i don't think so but i think it's a pretty good investment I was just thinking fiber to your home sounds like a tagline for Kellogg's as well. <laughs> Come what? on, that deserves, that deserves a laugh. Fiber to your home. Oh, that's terrible. Oh. All brand, fiber to your home, brought to I, you by Clearfield. I am wasted on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for today's show, folks. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ. TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet. Or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us. And don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. From the three of us here today, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.